Are you looking to pursue excellence and take your success to the next level? You're in the right place. Welcome to Excellence Mindset with your host, Ryan James Miller. All right. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Excellence Mindset podcast. Uh, I am stoked today to have with me uh, what I'm going to say is a very special guest. Uh, We got a chance to chat a little bit offline uh, leading up to really just a couple of hours before um, uh, before recording this podcast today. And uh, I learned a lot more than I already knew. And um, that, that's a pretty obvious thing when we meet people online, when we, um, when we build social network uh, relationships. Uh, there, there's a lot more behind uh, just that profile online, even the content that's being shared. Um, but uh, I, I was really intrigued by some of the things that we were having conversations with earlier on. And so I'm stoked today to have with me uh, Eric Silverman. Uh, Eric is uh, uh, the EBA Advisor of the Year, and we'll talk a little bit more about what that is. He's an Amazon bestseller. He's a a hired and paid speaker out uh, in the employee benefits uh, arena. Uh, He calls himself a millennial entrepreneur. I love that. Maybe we're going to tap into that a little bit. He's an O's fan, which means he's from the great state to him of Maryland, uh, maybe we can argue about that a little bit. So Eric Silverman, welcome so much to the Excellence Mindset Podcast. Hey, bud. Nice to, uh, nice to be on. Uh, my pleasure. I appreciate you having me. And I almost forgot, you are the founder of Voluntary Disruption. That's probably like the main thing, right? Maybe, maybe. But I, I would, I mean, we could sit here and talk baseball for the next hour if you really want to. It might be even more entertaining. Who knows? <laughs> no, because then we're just going to have to go back to Cal Ripken because have the Orioles really done anything great since then? Um, next topic. <laughs> That's okay. As I said, just, just a few minutes ago, I am an Angels fan and outside of saying the word Mike Trout, there's really nothing great to talk about anymore either. So we are in the same boat, buddy. Don't worry. It's true. True. So, uh, so you do a lot. Uh, there are a lot of different things that uh, that you uh, are playing a role in. Uh, you've uh, co-wrote a book. You are speaking all around the country. You are uh, working with and advising uh, health insurance brokers to uh, really completely destroy the status quo. You say break the status quo. I just want to make that even a bigger thing than it is. I like that better. Change the title of the book because it's such a mess. Um, so you're doing all kinds of things. You're a family man. I know I, uh, I follow you on Twitter and on Twitter, I get to see um, uh, family shots every once in a while. You also are very passionate about telling me what special day every day of the year is. So I love that. So uh, what to you is like kind of the driving force? Like what is it that, that you really kind of like call yourself to that you really lean into most as you parse out all of those things? So from a, from a a career perspective, uh, I'm a benefits guy uh, through and through. I've been in the business almost 20 years and uh, I call myself the broker's broker or a lot of uh, advisors or a lot of brokers now use the term advisor. Uh, So the advisor's advisor, whatever term you want to use. But I've been doing this 20 years. I'm only on what I call the enhanced benefits side of the business, uh, which are all the various uh, benefits that uh, brokers and advisors work with their employer group clients on to fill in ultimately where healthcare still sadly leaves off and is increasingly leaving off more and more every single year. So I am not a health insurance guy per se. Um, 
I've literally only done one health insurance case in my entire 20 year career. And it's for me and my employees. And to say I do it is an understatement. I actually outsource it to one of my broker partners who does it for me. And then we share in the revenue. Um, so no. So the reality is I'm not in that world. Um, I just help support that world. Uh, I enhance that world. So um, that is the main revenue source for our firm as a company. Uh, we do enhance benefits all across the United States. We're in nearly every state at this point. Uh, and coincidentally, um, it's increasing, but we have very little uh uh, very, very few groups in the mid-Atlantic, the Baltimore Metro DC area, um, not by, not by design. I mean, I'd, I'd love to have everything right here in my backyard, but ultimately uh, I'm a big believer in, uh, in introductions and referrals mm. and they, my friend, as you know, they don't have borders. So if I get introduced or I shouldn't say if, when I get introduced uh, to some broker advisor or client all across the, all across the country, uh, I go. And when I say I go, I mean literally what we're doing now virtually. Uh, 99% of our business is virtual. Um, so uh, as far as speaking around the country, uh, it's kind of my, uh, my side hustle. I enjoy it. I love it. I'm a marketing guy by trade. Um, I enjoy public speaking. I love getting in front of hundreds and thousands of people at a time. Uh, it's not my profession. I certainly do lots of ums and ahs and ors, but, but I have fun with it and it's a good time. Yeah. Well, so uh, one thing that intrigued me uh, when um, when I jumped onto your website and we were talking earlier offline uh, was around this idea of um, words th that words matter, right? Like the importance of every word that we choose. And so, why um, when you said you were a marketing guy just a couple, uh, you know, just a few seconds ago, that just kind of triggered that thought. So, why to you is that so important? Like, why is it so important that you choose your words and that you make known to other people that that's so important to you? So, I uh, I'm a big words guy, a wordsmith, if you will. I write articles for all the major industry publications. Uh, I did have my hand in an Amazon best-selling book, as you know. Um, but I've always been a words guy, and it's interesting because I learned the hard way or almost learn the hard way that words are really powerful and, and could really mess you up in business and in life. Uh, quick story. So I was green as can be in the business. I was literally 19, 20 years old tops Had my first account. Uh, to me, it was a bunch of tow truck drivers, no big deal. They need great benefits. I was there to help. So um, just picture like everybody listening right now, picture in your mind, shut your eyes if you want for a second and picture what a stereotypical, I'm stereotyping, but picture what a stereotypical truck driver might look like. All right, now you got it. It's in your mind right now. You can't help but think of it. Everybody's thinking the same guy or the same person. And that's what you would assume. So I'm in a room full of like 50 or 60 tow truck drivers who look the park, uh, uh, look the part. They just absolutely and why they make sense and why they're important. And I start talking about how this will help a tow truck driver and all the people in this industry. And it's some big gruff dude who's probably six foot 100, like the guy's just incredibly large and tattooed up the, up to the wazoo. He stands up in the middle of the room and he says, I'm going to stop you right there, kid. And I'm 19, 20 years old. And you, you know, I'm not in person with you right now, but I'm five foot six if I'm lucky. And, um, and this guy stands up and he goes, uh, I don't know who you're talking to, but we're not tow truck drivers. And I said, Oh, I'm so like, I played stupid, but I'm like, I'm so sorry. And I, you know, by all means, you know, I'm very nice. And he goes, and he wasn't kidding. This wasn't sarcasm. He goes, we are recovery specialists. And there was an awkward pause in the room. 
And I kind of thought he was joking, but I didn't want to test it. So I just kind of said, oh, of course, absolutely, no problem. And he was dead on as serious as you could ever be. And that moment alone is one of my first cases. I could have lost that case and had an uproar just on my poor choice of words by making the assumption that these guys were a bunch of tow truck drivers. They're not tow truck drivers. They're auto recovery specialists, repo men. But they don't like that term repo men either. So that proved to me and reminded me that I need to pick my words carefully when I'm dealing with uh, and now broker partners and advisors, but let alone our commercial uh, mutual accounts all across the United States. Okay. So I, I totally get right that, I mean, that that's obviously so important for us to do that. We need to choose our words. We need to understand our audience. But I think sometimes when, um, when we're trying to uh, influence other people's way of thinking in that area, we go so hard at people because uh, they, they don't do that. And sometimes it's just because we just don't know, right? Like th- th- there is that place of like, we're ignorant, but unwillfully. And I know there's a better word for that, but, um, but we need to be fair in those instances because I think in, in, in society nowadays as a whole, um, definitely in the industry that you're, you're playing ball in right now, it, you know, like it's very charged and everybody's very fired up about uh, issues at hand again in our country or if we just want to talk healthcare. Uh, and so, yes, we need to choose our words carefully. We don't want to offend other people. But at the same time, I think that there is a, um, a, a lack of grace in a lot of the conversations that we're having in this, right? I mean, we're trying to, we're trying to fire mm-hmm. people up, but at the same time, we don't want to push too hard because we're, we're hurting people in the process. Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt. And look, so um, I'm, a big, uh, I'm a big believer that the term for my industry is archaic and, and quite candidly, I can be candid, right? It's stupid. It absolutely makes no sense. Most people in my industry call my industry the voluntary insurance world or the voluntary benefits world. Um, a lot of times they refer to, they refer to the voluntary industry as, um, as supplemental or, uh, or ancillary or worksite. And, um, and I'm just a staunch uh, opponent against those words. And it's really just a terminology thing. And, you know, I look at it from a perspective of if you, I, I always go to the dictionary. If you look up those words, ancillary, uh, voluntary, uh, supplemental worksite, if you look these words up, they're all to support a main part. They're all um, second in nature or third in nature. They don't mean as much, right? And uh, I'm, you know, like two of the products as an example that I, that, that, that we do a lot of business in um, are disability and life. And they're oftentimes considered ancillary benefits. Well, I don't know what's so ancillary about somebody dying or becoming disabled. Like mm-hmm. to me, that's about the most important damn thing you could ever imagine. Yep. So to call those things ancillary or secondary or supplemental are insane, let alone the other types of benefits in my industry, accident, hospital, critical illness, et cetera. But here's the reality. Uh, everything is voluntary. It's voluntary for us to hop on this call today, voluntary for your awesome uh, audience to listen in. And I appreciate that. But everything's voluntary, including them partic- employees participating in insurance. Mm-hmm. So uh, I prefer the term enhanced as opposed to things like ancillary. Ancillary sounds like medicine, right? It sounds really exciting to tell an employee, hey, you want to buy some, uh, some ancillary benefits? You might as well tell them to go to CVS and pick up their prescription. Nobody wants to do that either. Right. So it just sounds awful. So enhanced is a more supportive word to uh, help our broker partner and clients across the country fulfill their main mission, which is to put together a strategic health plan initiative within that employer base and their employees to mitigate costs. And all we're doing is filling in 
where no doubt those things are going to have some leaks and holes. That's it. We're there to enhance. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I love that you're that passionate about that side of the, you know, benefit space because I think, so I had some experience, right, working uh, for a broker and I'm not going to implicate them specifically in this, but my observation across almost every broker across the entire country is voluntary benefits as they call them, ancillary benefits. They're throwaways, right? It's like, I don't really want to push them like the incentive typically, and this is just like an out a bunch of people and I'm, I'm happy to do it. The typical incentive to sell disability or life insurance, like those types of products, the incentive for the broker to do that is because they're going to get bonused by the carrier to do so. Right. And if there's not enough financial incentive and enough bonus in order for them to sell it, they're not going to do it. And it's so freaking frustrating to me because like you said, like, yes, my medical insurance is, can't, no, it can be beneficial to me, even though most of those plans are garbage today. Whereas having That's a right. great disability policy or a great life insurance policy in place, those things are critical, right? Because we don't need them until we need them. But then when we need them, like if I get, if I get massively or, you know, like tragically disabled or, or I die, Who's going to pay for that, right? Or, or, or when, my, when I die and my family no longer has any money to, to support themselves, and so my wife that's normally stayed at home with my kids all of a sudden has to go replace a couple hundred thousand dollars a year in income, like that's nonsense. And so those things are critical and almost Dude. should be led out with instead of being like throwaways when we're talking about you know, insurance and benefits. Like it's a joke. Yeah, I mean, look, dude, you hit the nail spot uh, squarely on the head. And that's what I'm preaching. And, and I don't even, you know, to be honest and blunt, I don't even quote unquote uh, lead with the disability in life because many times or most often that's where the health insurance partner of mine takes over or they start the conversation. I fill in on the other types of programs and there's just so many insurance benefits and non-insurance benefit programs out there that can greatly enhance and benefit the employer and the employee alike. Not to mention, you know, we're doing a ton of employer funded, you know, it's a tough labor market out there right now. And employers are ultimately um, really trying to compete hard. So gone, I don't want to say gone are the days, but in my opinion, near gone are the days where employers just say, hey, employees fund whatever you want. I, I strategically am having more and more clients, more than 50% of our new business last year in 2018 was employers who were um, partially funding or fully funding a lot of these different benefits vis-a-vis um, -vis back in the old days, the good old days. They're not doing it for any other reason except for competition, and they're looking for innovative ways to do it. And we, we provide a lot of new insight on how to do it. And the advisor broker partners we work with really love that. And that's why they bring us aboard. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's awesome. And I, I, again, like, you know, as I followed you from a distance and I'm, I'm, I'm watching all the things you're sharing, I know you've uh, had the opportunity to be on some of the local news stations in your area and around the country and, you know, sharing there. And, you know, when you're going to speak at conferences that are both very specific to insurance and not, you know, that you're sharing those things. And I, I wish more people were willing to do that. And I feel like, and I'm actually interested to hear, you know, your feedback here. Like, I feel like one of the biggest things holding the, this industry back is that the brokers themselves are too tied to the existing model that's in place, like the carriers and being paid by them. And so they're just, they're afraid to, to break the status quo because they don't know where their money's going to come from, right? 
Yeah, I mean, look, no doubt. So I spoke in front of, uh, I spoke to 200 uh, broker advisors uh, actually yesterday in Ohio. They were kind enough to invite and hire me to come speak to them. And uh, I had to warn the uh, guy who invited me. I said, look, but I'm not there for window dressing and I'm not there to just read off the script. I'm very candid, very blunt, uh, ultimately very transparent. And, um, you know, hence the name of my company. So if you're, if you want me there, I'm going to disrupt the hell out of it. Like you're, you know, you're going to have half the brokers in the room get fired up and excited. You're going to have half the brokers get pissed off because they're status quo and they don't want to look in the mirror and admit it. So the guy goes, that's a great guy, Mike Stabler. He goes, Hey man, I saw you speak in San Diego a year ago. Don't forget. That's why I'm bringing you on. I want you to do that exact same speech. And I was like, all right, fantastic. So sure enough, what happened? Half of the room was excited, maybe even more than half. I'll give myself a little credit, but there were, were some folks in there that were grumbling a little bit and uh, trying to poke holes and play devil's advocate. Look, at the end of the day, I even talked about it on stage yesterday. The status quo is real, right? Um, who has the vested interest in, in, in keeping the status quo? So let's look at it. You got the insurance carriers have a huge vested interest in the status quo, right? You have legacy old school brokerage agencies and firms who are used to making two, three, four hundred thousand dollars a year in income, not just uh, firm revenue, but their personal income. Uh, and they're used to just taking out their client to the, uh, to the steakhouse and going to golf. You know, I talked about this on stage yesterday and I said, show your hands in this room. Be honest. If you're honest, how many of your legacy longtime big clients or even smaller clients, the CEO or the chairman is, you know, in their 60s, 70s and 80s. And you got the millennials and uh, eventually the Gen Z taking over the firm and the family business. Uh, and they all said, yeah, me. And, and they said it happens all the time. I said, would you agree as a team, as an audience, that majority by far and away of those millennials and Gen Zs? Sure, everybody likes a nice steak if they eat meat. Uh, sure, if you want to buy them golf, okay, fine. But they don't care about that stuff. Right. That's not what motivates them. At the end of the day, they're not worried about buying their own steak and going to play golf. In fact, they might not want any of that. Quite honestly, they want to do the right thing, take care of their employees. And frankly, they want to add money to their bottom line in the form of savings with a specific bespoke strategy in all things that will help their employees and uh, thrive. So it's interesting because uh, a lot of old school brokers, and there's thousands of them, they haven't seen that yet. They haven't gotten it yet. They're still relying on the good old boy network, as I call it, as a lot of people call it. And I can't tell you how many brokers and advisors I talk to that fully realize that the good old boy network's not getting them anywhere anymore. And they have to actually pick up the phone and build a new relationship with somebody half their age, and they don't know how to do it. So a lot of what I do is helping some of those brokers and advisors really do that with a younger generation. Uh, I'm no, um, what's an old term my dad would say, I'm no spring chicken, right? But at the end of the day, uh, I still, I'm right at that border of being a millennial. Um, and uh, I grew up with technology, but at the same token, I didn't grow up with technology. I'm probably in a similar vein to you and uh, I can appreciate what's going on, but I've never been the type of guy that goes out and plays golf and, and takes a, a broker to, to a, uh, takes a client to a steak dinner to, to keep their business. I'd rather just provide innovative new ideas and value each and every year and let the chips fall where they may. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you say that. And I've shared this story a couple of times. But So I worked for an industry many years ago, uh, document management and print for the construction industry. So this was an organization that during the time I worked there was a local, a regional family-owned business, had been for 60 years sold uh, their business to this large publicly traded company. Um, but then the owner passed, the owner of the regional firm passed away. And so then corporate kind of just took over 
and, and went crazy. But what I watched happen in that industry is exactly what's happening in this industry right now, which is, you know, everybody in that industry went from printing traditional like blueprint documents, right, that the construction guys were reading on. Then there was this kind of like iteration where it went to black and white. And then from there, it started moving to this technology platform. Well, the old school people in the industry, like the, the, the actual contractors and workers, they were afraid of that technology change. And so this company was, that I was working for was afraid to push too hard on that technology change that was happening. And so they were trying, but then they would kind of hold back, even though that they saw the writing on the wall. Fast forward a few years of working there, and what ended up happening was all print went away. But because the company I worked for had devalued the technology platform that was driving, was going to be driving the innovation, they had devalued it so much that by the time they convinced their audience to come onto the technology platforms, they were only able to charge a fraction of what they were getting for paper in the past. And the company just got crushed. Stock price went from, you know, 40 bucks a share down to like $6 a share. I think today it trades at like two something a share. It's like insane. And so like they got destroyed because they weren't willing to push the envelope and, and keep up with what they saw as coming. Here we are in the insurance and benefit space and the same damn thing is happening. And so my hope is, is that all of these traditional brokers, old school guys, like I don't wish ill on them, but at the same time, I do hope and pray that it really starts to sting and hurt them. And it forces them to either sell their book of business and get out, like just retire, you're like 70 already, or right. that they need to innovate, right? Bring some, you know, fresh faces and fresh people in that are willing to help drive that thing forward because we owe it to the audience, right? We owe it to the client and ultimately we owe it to the American public. Like they are getting sicker and sicker. And a big part of that is because we are driving a broken system. That's right. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. That's a uh, cool story. I did not know that was a part of your background. Yeah, it's, it, it's just been crazy. Okay, so you're in the midst of like uh, all of these things happening and you're, um, you're pushing like let's break the status quo and, and you're super passionate about that, but you got your start on the carrier side of things. And so what was it that drove you at some point to go off on your own? Like starting a business is like a crazy risk in and of itself. Like today it's glorified as like the best thing and since sliced bread, right? Talk about old references. Mm -hmm. um, but like that, that's a bold step to make. And then to do that into, in the insurance world is crazy. Um, so like what, what was it that drove you to want to do that in the first place? So I've been in the business now almost 20 years. I started out as a college intern and uh, with a large carrier in the enhanced space. And um, I've actually, uh, the only job I've ever had is uh, I worked at a gas station in, in high school and college, and I worked at a bowling alley in college. Uh, no joke, minimum wage and, for both. And, um, and that was literally my only two W-2 jobs ever in the history of the world or my world. Um, so I was an independent 1099 agent. Uh, running an operation at the highest level, doing 10 million a year in new revenue or new sales revenue. And um, the reality is uh, uh, I, I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always been independent. I had my own office, my own staff. We had a payroll of almost a half a million dollars a year coming right out of my wife and I's budget. So I've always been on my own completely. Nobody's given me a thing. Nobody's paid me a salary. I've never, I've always bought my own benefits, had my own everything. However, um, 
as I say now, I, uh, you know, I always say, Hey, my name is Eric Silverman. I'm, and I'm a recovering carrier rep. Um, <laughs> so as I, and that's when everybody's supposed to say, hi, Eric. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, bad jokes aside, uh, you know, it's, I don't know, roughly, uh, four or five years ago, whatever it's been at this point, uh, enough's enough. I saw the writing on the wall, even a few years before that. Uh, and you know, long story short, without the drama, Ultimately, I just said I couldn't be with the, with one carrier anymore. It just wasn't getting me where I needed to be. Um, I'm not bashing them. I'm not. Um, I'm not. I'm not. I would. I honestly wouldn't change a thing. I had a really successful career and a really big run. I had a lot of fun, made a lot of money, break a lot of broke a lot of records. Um, so nobody cried for me. But at the same token, um, you know, I wrote this article in Benefits Pro called "Hi, my name is Eric. I'm a recovering carrier rep." And Ryan, dude, did I get hate mail? Like I got so much, I'm not kidding. I got hate email and text and messages on LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram from folks in the industry who are still carrying reps who are bashing me and telling me, how dare you? Um, you know, all that's not true. Some of that's not true. Some of it's true, but how could you say that? Um, maybe all of it's true, but how dare you? <laughs> and they're all, they're all, um, they're all upset. They're all high and mighty and they're trying to call me a hypocrite. And I said to them, I'm like, how am I a hypocrite? If you read the article, I clearly wrote, I did it. I wrote the book on it. I was the worst of the worst. I was the person collecting the fat checks and the bonuses, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not in denial, right? I'm not trying to make fun of an alcoholic, but if you're an alcoholic, you are forever and you always admit that you had a problem in the past, right? It's, it's, a, it's a weird tie, but at the same token, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that I wasn't that guy, but I literally got sick of it and I turned it on, turned it, uh, on its ass. And uh, I'm just trying to do, I'm not high and mighty. I'm not Mother Teresa. I'm trying to do what's right for what's going to be a long-term sustainable business for not only myself and my employees, but my family as, a, as, as something I want to leave as a legacy for my children. Um, and I just didn't see a sustainable long-term model as being a one-trick pony in the carrier world. You know, I use the example, imagine, you know, uh, there's a reason why somebody opens up a car dealership and they have multiple franchises, Ford, Chevy, and Lexus, and BMW, and they, they do many. Because otherwise, if you don't, you're only going to attract one type of buyer. Mm. I'm no different. And it works for a while, but at some point I needed to expand. So ultimately now we're completely agnostic with respect to carriers and, and vendors and solution providers and technology. We, and this sounds bad. I don't mean it this way, but, but we don't care who it is. We just mm. want it to be the right fit at the right time, at the right place, at the right, uh, at the right price. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I, I mean, I know you didn't, you know, intend it to necessarily be an apology, but like, I, I don't think that we ever need to apologize for being part of the problem, as long as we're willing to be part of the difference, right? If we're, if we're willing that's to right. be part of making a difference. And I reference this a lot, Gandhi says, you know, be the change that you want to see in the world. And I feel like right. we, we, and I say we, because many different areas of my life, whether it's my marriage or as a salesperson uh, early on in my career, like I have made plenty of really, really bad, really, really hurtful mistakes uh, to myself, to my family, to my clients at the time. And yet it's because of those hardships and those struggles and those challenges that I'm able to, to swing so far in the other direction and that I'm, that I, that I'm able to apply that learning. So I actually love the fact that I wish more people would recognize like you doing what you did is, 
is, is one of the best ways to do it. I mean, it, it took you seeing the other side and not like it's the dark side, but look, it took you seeing the other side of like the dirty inner workings right. of what's going on and, and to fix it, right? Because if, if it was just a guy just starting up, it frustrates me a lot when we see people start a business, they've got no previous experience and they're like, you know, I can do this. I can crush it for everybody. And maybe, but but the likelihood is very low. Whereas when you come from a place that you did, I mean, it just seems like you have much better opportunity because you have the experience to reflect on all the way through, right? No doubt. No doubt. No, you're 100% right. And look, um, I, I, I wasn't apologizing. Yeah. I had somebody say, do you want to apologize for anything? I was like, no, in fact, I, I want to write a follow-up to that article and mention everything that I missed because I forgot some good things. <laughs> um, and I probably, I, I, I kind of did write a follow-up. Anyway, the uh, no, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not ashamed of my past at all. I mean, you know, I had somebody once say to me, "Geez, Eric, you're trying to rebrand and unskin yourself from your old carrier days. Why don't you kind of just take that part off your LinkedIn and just put benefit specialist?" And I'm like, well, "Why? I'm transparent. I have no secrets. I learned a lot, made a lot of money, had a lot of fun, made great friends there." nothing wrong with that i just do things completely different nowadays and you know if you if you have to hide your past then geez i think that's a problem in and of itself and you know that that needs some uh couch counseling if you will yeah seriously we could probably do a little bit of that here deal with that from time to time myself um so okay so uh, you said something else uh, offline that i that i liked and uh, so i wanted to, to get back to it so you told me earlier that you said i don't believe in luck uh, I believe in hard work. And so it's kind of interesting because uh, I just got done uh, listening to, I was going to say reading, but listening to Shoe Dog, which is Phil Knight's story about starting Nike and um, plug for that book. It's wonderful. I mean, just amazing to hear. I that. haven't read it yet, but I am the world's, uh, one of the world's biggest Nike fans. And even in being in Baltimore, sorry, Under Armour. I don't like Under Armour. I like, I'm a Nike guy. I grew up with Nike. There was no Under Armour. You know, what am I going to do? Well, I had no idea of what his story really was, like to get to where he was, where where he is today. It's unbelievable to see some of the things that he had to go through. But one of the things that he finished with, which I literally just finished listening to it this morning, and then I heard you talk. So he said uh, that that no matter uh, where you are and how you find success, that a little bit of luck plays into everything. And so for me, that kind of makes me cringe a little bit when I hear him or anybody say something like that. And so you come in and you say the exact opposite. I don't believe in luck. I believe in hard work. So talk to me a little bit about that and then tell me how that plays out. So um, when like, I give you an example, it happens all the time, right? You have somebody, uh, you know, a friend or a relationship, they're about to do something huge, right? Somebody you know, like I've taken the stage yesterday. Somebody would text me yesterday. It happened. They're like, good luck. I'm sure you'll knock them dead. Ah, whatever. Break a leg. You know, all stereotypical cliches. Yeah. And, um, but I, I never do that. Like I'll text or email or call somebody. I'll be like, Hey man, I wish you luck, but guys like us don't need luck. We make our own. Um, I say that all the time. And the fact is I'm a big believer in the, in being weak. All right. So I'll, I'll hook you up here with a little, um, a little insight of, of my, my, uh, thought process. So, um, if you are weak, you are strong in my, in my world. Weak, W-E-A-C, W-E-A-C. Weak is an acronym for work ethic, attitude, and coachability, right? So I tr- hired and trained thousands of people at the highest level in my carrier days, uh, brokers, interns, agents, sales reps. And ultimately, 
um, I would talk about all the time work ethic being the most paramount. Uh, I can teach you all the, the concepts. I can teach you how to be the best salesperson or trainer or whatever you want to be. I can teach you uh, speaker. It doesn't matter. But if you don't put your effort into it, you know, nothing's going to happen. And, and we've all been we're all familiar with the terms and the sayings of, you know, I am a big believer. And it's it's what you do when no one else is around to look at you that matters. That mm -hmm. counts. Right. So work ethic is huge. The second one, a attitude. Most people just assume that we need um, that we mean like positive versus negative attitude. And sure, being positive is extremely important. But at the same token, there's another flip side of the word attitude. And that's a can do attitude. So I, I look at the word can do attitude more than the word uh, attitude with respect to positive negative. And then the last part was quite honestly, probably the most important part of it is your ability to be trained and coached. Right. Um, speaking of Orioles, I'm a big Oriole fan. As we said earlier, I'm in Baltimore um, and Earl Weaver, Hall of Fame baseball manager, uh, passed away a few years ago. He had a saying that he would say to all the guys in the locker room, the Hall of Fame players in the, in the Orioles franchise, Jim Palmer and, and Brooks Robinson and the late uh, recent uh, Frank Robinson and, and all those guys, Cal Ripken. And he would simply say, hey, gang, it's what you learn after you think you know it all that counts. Hmm. And he's talking about being coachable. So the best players, the Hall of Famers, the good people would come into the locker room, be ready to play, no matter if they're perennial Hall of Famers. They would come in with that positive um, can-do attitude of what can I learn today to better myself and my teammates. So I look at that weak acronym as being ultimately the paramount of my business and, and the way I coach people over the years. And it's not easy. In fact, to have a strong work ethic and be positive and have a can-do attitude and to be coachable every step of the way is really flipping hard. And it's funny because I, you know, I don't believe in, in there's 99% coachability. I've had agents over the years tell me, and salespeople and brokers tell me, well, I listened to everything you said, except for that one thing. I just didn't agree. So I did it my way. You know, well, listen, I listened to 99% of what you said. I'm 99% coachable. There is no such thing. You're either 100% coachable or you're 100% uncoachable. Because it's not the 99% that you agree with me that I care about. It's that 1% that you didn't agree that you're asking me for advice and you're not following what I talked about. And that's the, uh, that's the difference in your success or your failure. That's the difference of good to great and all the other cliches we could say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I, um, I have the opportunity to contribute to uh, the Forbes Coaches Council. And so every once in a while, they put questions out that you can weigh in on. And, you know, they'll select a few and they create articles as a result of it. And so one of them actually that came across my desk this morning was, or computer was, uh, around the idea of, well, like, uh, what makes a great coach? <clears throat> and... The thing that I said was, and it's just of my firm belief, is I need to be 100% committed to what I believe and what I tell other people to do. And, mm -hmm. and by that, like, and I got this from what you were just saying, like, that doesn't actually even mean that I'm 100% right. Like, I know I'm not, right? There's a lot of things that I don't know that I don't know how to do. I've given bad advice to my clients before. It happens. But I have to 100% believe that I'm conveying to them what I think is right in that moment. And they have to have a willing, then they'll want to have a willingness to do it, right? Because they know that I'm only going to tell them what I believe in. And I think a lot of times that's what ends up happening. And that's where there's this breakdown and our ability to communicate to people and people's ability to be able to learn and grow from that is a lot of times we're just regurgitating a lot of crap that we've heard from other people and, and, and people see right through that, right? That's right. Yeah, no, and look, what's the old, I hear people talk about it all the time and it's so true is, um, you know, my overnight success story took me 20 years, mm -hmm. right? 
that's my overnight success story. You know, I, there's so many times I'd hire somebody and they'd be like, geez, man, you're so successful. You're making money. You're driving a nice car. You have nice things, blah, blah, blah. And they'd say, geez, you know, you're, you're so young. How'd you do it? And yet these same folks are complaining when they, you know, I tell them to be at the office at 7 a.m. and they get in at 9.30 with a cup of coffee and a bag of Burger King and they have an excuse. And I say, all right, well, you better stay till eight tonight and call the West Coast and or nine o'clock and they leave at six o'clock with some lame excuse. But meanwhile, I open up the door in the morning and I'm the one to turn the lights out at the end of the day. And nobody thinks or reminds or remembers about that stuff. All they see is that nice car, or that nice watch or, or the fact that you're taking a vacation. You know, what's the old saying? Lead from the front. Uh, I'm guilty as charged. I'm not perfect. I don't think I think anybody that tells you that perfect is a liar and you should run far away. But at the end of the day, I've always tried to lead from the front and uh, follow that methodology. Um, and it's it done me well. Right. And I've had really great mentors back in my carrier days. I've had some really flipping bad ones, too. Um, but I've had some really we talked about this earlier today. Um, I reach out uh, randomly to uh, health advisors and consultants and brokers around the country. Yeah, sure. Selfishly, I'd love to work with them in some capacity someday. But I have more brokers and advisor relationships uh, that absolutely could be my client. And I've been friends with them for three, four, five, six, seven years. And I've never done a nickel of business. And we're, I consider, and they do too, we're great friends. And I consider them mentors. And I, they guide mm-hmm. me and vice versa. And again, if it leads to business one day, so be it. But I, I'm a big believer in just making sure you have the right connections to lead you down the path of success. And I think what happens uh, a lot of times is people, um, you know, let's just face facts. Misery loves company. So a lot of times complainers will hang out with complainers. Right. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, my buddy always says, and I agree with him, it's, again, nothing profound. But if you um, if you look around the room and you think you're the smartest guy in the room, then you need to find a new room. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. You know, it's funny you said misery loves company, you know, just <clears throat> I feel like I've, I've turned into a, a health insurance broker bashing, uh, I don't know, robot or something. But I, I, I hear that again, all too often, too. It's like, I'm hearing everybody complain about, you know, how bad the industry is and how messed up things are. And two things that I that I um, that I take away from that. First of all, it's not that bad. Like it, it is, it's really bad. It's really messed up, but there's a lot of great things happening. But the other thing is, is like, you need to realize that you need, you need to make a difference, right? You need to be willing to make a change. You need to step outside of that. You need to, like you said, go find another room. You need to find people that are going to be positive and encouraging. Don't be part of the problem. Be part of the solution. And too many people actually end up loving to be part of the problem because that's where like the, the majority of the people are living, right? It's just trash. It's, it's tragic. It's pathetic. And there's probably a lot of other adjectives we could think of. But, but at the end of the day, um, you have to try to force yourself to be removed from that. And I'm guilty as charged. I've mm-hmm. been in that misery loves company role before, even when I think I'm not. And I, and I have to suck myself out of there on my own and realize and look in the mirror and realize I screwed up. You know, it's funny you said you've given bad advice before. I absolutely I was thrown into management at the age of 23. I could I could barely manage myself and somebody put me in management. And I'm by the way, I'm thankful for that. But boy, did I make a lot of mistakes. And I literally had to eat crow years later. I had good friends and good relationships that got burned. And, um, you know, still to this day, there are people that that don't want to associate with me based on the advice or the way that I was back in my my early 20s. And here I am 38 years old. I can apologize to the cows come home if they don't want to accept that I, I can't do anything but move forward. But I did. I absolutely, like you said earlier, I learned from those mistakes and I try to be a better uh, leader, manager, uh, husband, uh, entrepreneur, whatever you want to call it, father, 
uh, because of it. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. <clears throat> so uh, again, I saw on your website and so I want to reflect this question back on you. So you, you said there something to the effect of like, uh, what message do you want to send or what message are you sending? So mm-hmm. when you think of yourself as your brand, right? That, that personal brand is a big buzzword. I know you do. I mean, I think you do a fantastic job. I mean, it's very clear to me of who you, who you want to be, but what message are you trying to send to your audience at large? And really just then those that happen to see you as a result of being connected to somebody that is, is following you. So, um, going back and I mentioned it earlier, but I didn't give any, um, any context. So, you know, I was with a big carrier for a long time and I milked that brand for what it's worth. And that's what they want. And that's what I wanted. And it worked very well. Again, don't cry me a river. I'm not complaining. Uh, and when I left the carrier world, when I, when I uh, decided to be a uh, recovering carrier rep, I had to, um, my buddy Dan gave me this term and I love it. I use it all the time. Now I had to unskin myself from that carrier. I had to rebrand and the idea. And at the time it was just Silverman benefits group. Um, I didn't have voluntary disruption. It was just me and my, my name. Well, good old me. So I was trying to rebrand. And ultimately, I just needed to create myself a persona uh, through the use of technology and social media nationally, where I could get out of that carrier world and that carrier mindset. Um, and the easiest way for me to do it was, you know, it sounds silly, but it's so true. It was just not to pretend to be anything I'm not. Just be myself. Speak matter of fact be very transparent and open, know that I'm going to piss off a lot of people that don't agree or think that I'm, I'm trying to pretend. But at the end of the day, um, that's the, that's the, the strategy I put together that I've been, uh, uh, orchestrating over the last many years. And, and, you know, I think it's worked. You know, I said to you earlier today when we were chatting for a minute, um, I totally 100%, uh, in writing in my strategic uh, plan for the next three to five years, three to five years ago, I said, I put in writing, um, I'm going to be making cold calls to brokers and advisors. And, and hopefully one day I'll be able to work on word of mouth only. And I, uh, again, it's not luck. I think it ha- everything happens on purpose with hard work. Uh, I've literally never had to make a cold call to a broker or an advisor across the United States because I've been fortunate enough to surround myself with the winners that I work with who have been nice enough to acknowledge what I do for them and their client base to bring me around the country and tell their partners and friends and advisor um, uh, broker co- uh, uh, colleagues uh, how great it is to work with what we, again, I rebranded a year ago, Voluntary Disruption and Eric Silverman. Um, my only mission, dude, was just to get out of the carrier world and to really unskin myself from that brand um, to the, uh, in fact, I'll be blunt, to the nth degree, meaning like I, I, t- I went, there was a, a couple year period where um, regardless of how good or bad that carrier was, I went out of my way not to work with them. And it's on purpose because I, I couldn't risk undoing the rebrand that I took so long and so serious to have somebody think that I'm back in my old ways. So here we are now, whatever, four or five years later, and I have no challenge working with any carrier, including my old carrier choice, because again, it's got to be the right fit. But I believe I've had such a successful ability to rebrand and unskin myself accordingly. I just want people to know that... Um, that it wasn't an overnight success thing. And I don't think I'm there yet. I, I think, I, I honestly think I have a long way to go. In fact, I don't think it, I know I have a long way to go. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I um, 
you know, people often say, but you know, you're successful and it's probably just because they see my face all over the place because I'm dumping content everywhere I possibly can. And I don't run away from that word because I'm afraid of it, but I just don't see, see it that way. Like I really feel as though like I put myself in a really good spot where I'm at right now. Um, but there's a lot that I still have left to accomplish even right now today. And there, there is, there's this big gap between what, what I would have hoped to have accomplished by now. Not that I failed something, but just that, that I would have hoped to have accomplished by now that I haven't. And so that means that I just need to work harder and put more in to help, you know, into achieving those things. And, you know, I want to balance living contently and being happy with where I'm at. And so, you know, it's just, it, there's always that tension, but I can totally appreciate you, you know, you saying that like, you know, it's, you know, you, you've worked really, really hard to get to where you're at, but you still got a lot to do and you still got, you know, you still got a long way to go and you want to be able to continue to pursue those things. Dude, from a, from a, you know, I'm a for-profit entity. I imagine you are as well. And all the I try to be. partners I work with as well. And, um, you know, I, I, it, a lot of my colleagues and, and manager uh, friends that are in the carrier world spread out many carriers now because they ha- job hop and I'm not beating them up, but it's just a fact. And they ask me, say, Gee, Eric, Eric, what's it like in the real world? You're making more money than ever. You're crushing it. You're everywhere. Your face is everywhere. You're all over social. You know, where are you traveling to now? What day is it? Right. National day. And, uh, and, and, and I'm, I, I don't shy away from the fact that if I was still in the carrier world or a single carrier, Quite honestly, dude, I'd be making more new money right now than I am now. Mm. Um, I am far less profitable in the year 2019, right this minute, than I was even five years ago in my carrier world because it was like I was high and I was literally getting high on the bonuses and the commissions and the product dump and the commission grab. And again, don't cry for me. I made a lot of money, but I don't make as much anymore. And I, I'm not saying that for, for charity or pity. Don't, nobody needs to start a, uh, a GoFundMe page for Eric Silverman. Um, that'd be funny. But, <laughs> but the reality, dude, is I'm, I'm at a better place. And I mm-hmm. see the long-term growth of where we're at. Like I can totally see within the next few years, if not sooner, that we will eclipse what our uh, annual revenues are or were back then. Mm. But you have to, you know, what's, it's, again, more cliche. You have to crawl before you walk, walk before you jog, jog before you run. I took a bunch of steps backward to make a million leaps forward. And too often people aren't willing to do that. Like I'm not trying to bash my friends and colleagues around the country. I'm going to get hate mail if they listen to this, but You're they're um, my one, my, I love it by the way. My, my one buddy is a good buddy of mine and he agrees with me and he's out there doing his own thing and he gets hate mail too, but he calls these people assholes. I didn't say what you, what you might've heard. I said assholes. They ask you 500 questions to death and they, and they tell you everything you want to hear. They want to do what you're doing, but they never execute. And, you know, three years later, they're still working in the same job, same world, same carrier, making tons of money and nobody's crying for them. But they tell me, I don't know how much longer I can take up, take this bullshit. I don't know how much longer I can do this. And, you know, what's the definition of an insanity? We all know doing the same thing over and over expecting different results. So, you know, when you mentioned content earlier, People ask me that all the time. They're like, geez, Eric, you're, you're writing, you know, 20 different articles a year uh, in all these major publications in the industry. Uh, you're part of this big book and a new one to be at some point soon. Um, you're speaking all over the country, sometimes pro bono, sometimes uh, at a high level where companies and brokers are paying you. You know, you're sharing all these ideas. Aren't you cannibalizing your own business? I hear that a lot. Um, 
And the answer is maybe, but I really don't believe that at all because I'm a big believer in providing as much content. There is no secret sauce that I'm perfect with. I'll give you all the tools in my toolbox, but it's not really about the idea, as you know, dude. It's, it's about the execution. And um, too often than not, how many of us in this world get a good idea, but we don't execute on it? I'm guilty as charged. Yep. So I never care about sharing every strategic idea. Uh, if they can figure it out and do it or do it better, God bless, man. I come from a world of plenty and abundance. This is a big country that we live in, and, um, and I'm all for it. So uh, uh, one more plug back into that book, Shoe Dog, because it's so relevant to what you just said about sharing ideas. And, I, and I'm of the same thing. Like I'm happy to sit down and share as much as I can about what I think people should be doing and how they should be doing it. And they can take it and run with it or they can throw it away. I don't care. But like, I'm, just, I'm so happy right. to do that. So one thing I learned about Nike, I forget when this was. I think it was sometime in the mid-1980s. But um, they were, uh, they were uh, in the midst of um, being ridiculed for their factories and how toxic it was to be in the sole part of the factory, right? Where they're gluing the soles together and there's all this toxicity. Right. So, they came, sure. they, yeah, so they came up with an innovative way to remove 98% of the chemical um, from this process of putting the soles together. And so they were like um, highly regarded for it. And it was like this amazing thing. They went to every major shoe manufacturer out there and gave them the process. No cost, no nothing. They showed them how to do it. They didn't license it. Nothing. They literally I thought gave it away. They licensed it. No. Nope. Wow. I didn't because know that. Because they, he felt like, and I, and I think it was Phil Knight, you know, like one of his like, um, you know, desires to do, like they felt like they wanted to make a difference after having reaped so many rewards from all the years of being successful as an organization. And clearly they were already making hundreds of millions of dollars at that point, but they really felt like this was not about having a competitive edge, uh, edge against their against their competitors it was about doing right by the employees that were working in all those factories and so i just thought that that was so amazing and it's such a principle that we can learn from right now look look listen to what you just said and i completely agree with you you know what that speaks of to me in the year 2019 that's cause marketing yep right that's bonobos that's um that's uh that's you know buy a pair of socks and we donate a pair of socks to people in need in another country right totally that, that's just total cause marketing and again, they didn't call it cause marketing in the 80s, but it, let's just face facts. And I respect it. I like Nike even more based on that. But the reality is it's all marketing. Word totally. gets out that they're giving this technology away to all their competitors. That does nothing but help boost Nike sales. So call it altruistic. Call it the right reason. Again, it's, it's good quality marketing that has a cause, which is the end solution, right? Bonobos is still a for-profit company. I like their socks. Uh, but they're still a for-profit <laughs> company. But the reality, uh, some comfy socks. But the reality is, um, every time somebody buys a sock, it goes to a to a, to a child that needs socks. And what's the? There's that shoe brand. Tom's does the exact yep. same thing. Yep. So again, companies are starting to get smart when it comes to this stuff. There, there, there's no reason to make money as you're doing the right thing, right? I mean, I, I think that you know we've all learned that there's there's phenomenal opportunities to make huge positive changes in this world and to affect organizations to affect individuals and we can make money as a result of doing that right it doesn't take away from that cause right. clearly people abuse that but 
Um, you know, but it doesn't have to be that way. So one more thing that I, sure. I really wanted to ask you as you're, uh, as you're sharing all these things and it's a lot about you, right? Like, I mean, you've become really successful. You're the one speaking, you're the face, it's your content, you're contributing articles. Um, you're being hired to speak on stage. A lot of times being paid a decent sum of money to do so, money, probably so, a probably ton of money from some money. people. From some people, um, but my question for you would be: but My question for you would be: How do you stay humble in the midst of you pushing out all this content? So, speaking of technology, go figure. We're at the end of this call. My AirPods just died, so I gotta, I gotta hold it like I'm in 1992. You're welcome, um, Apple. So, Thanks a lot for the AirPod dying. I know, right? Can somebody well, send Eric a new set of AirPods? Well, the one died and the other one just cut out. So I don't know what's going on there. Okay, so let me let me let me reclarify. Yeah, let me reclarify that question before you answer it because I think it'll be helpful just in case we lost audio. I heard an echo in there. So, my my question for you was, um, you know, you your business is about you. You are the brand in in many ways. I know you've got a great team working for you, but you're the face. You're being hired to speak. You're on the stage. You're the author of the book. Um, it, it's a lot about you. And so how do you stay humble in the midst of being elevated to a place where your face is all over the place and it's easy just to take all that in and feel like just the most amazing person in the world? Okay. Yeah, no, fair enough. So, um, I try my best and I'm not perfect at it. You'd have to survey my, my folks here in the office and my national sales director down in Florida, but you know, I try my best to highlight them as much as possible, give them uh, due credit where it's where it's uh, more than warranted. I mean, look, I'm the big picture guy. I don't know how you are. I imagine you're more similar to me in some capacity in that, you know, I'm not a get in the weeds type person. I'm not the one who's going to be down getting dirty. I've done it before. I'm not a hypocrite. I have no challenge doing it. But the reality is my time is at this point, my career is better spent at the high level marketing, bringing in new business and new partnerships and relationships. But let's just face facts. And I say this to my team all the time. I can make all the promises in the world to our clients and our uh, broker partners. And I do. I make bold promises. And then I can take them back to my team and say, I need your help implementing them. But if they don't implement them and they don't and they drop the ball, then all of that marketing, all those promises were for naught. And all of a sudden I'm back to square one. And it was a waste of time and a waste of effort and frankly, a waste of a lot of money. So whenever I possibly can. I try to give them as much credit, and I certainly do that. Um, frankly, I probably don't do it enough publicly, but the reality is I do it with my broker partners all the time where they're like, hey, you guys crushed it. You did this. You did that. And I'm the first to say, hey, man, I gave you the idea, but my team implemented it. If it wasn't for them, we would have been nowhere. So I try to remind them of how important they are and how instrumental they are to the process because without them, I literally wouldn't be anywhere. I mean, this is not a one-person operation. At least it can't be at the at the way we're growing and the way we're evolving uh, in all the different uh, states around the country. I mean, my God, we, we just did our first case in Alaska last year. Um, I can't. I'm not going to do that on my own. We didn't have to go to Alaska, but I, <laughs> but but virtually. I mean, so ultimately, it really comes down to having a core uh, a core group of people and a, and a core team of of special folks. And um, you know, if they're a couple of them are more introverted than others, otherwise I'd have them out on the speaker circuit as well. <laughs> Someone's got to do it, right? Dirty job. It's true. Well, that's awesome, man. I mean, I, I, I really appreciate 
you know, you and what you stand for again, it definitely in an industry that needs people like you standing up and speaking the truth, right? It's not about like just going against the grain for the sake of doing it. And when you say like, it's time there to break. There are people that do that. Totally, totally. And to me, that's trash, right? All you're trying to do is you're trying to stir right. controversy or you're trying to gain a following. But when I see you speak and I hear you speak and I, the content that you share, you're doing it from a place of a desire to see change uh, because you know that's the right thing to do. And so I've appreciated watching that from a distance. And obviously today has been great. Um, I'm going to try and find some more ways to weave that weak acronym into uh, into what I do, because I think that is, that's just such a great reminder for us all. I mean, obviously we can all continue to focus on having great work ethic. Uh, attitude is just essential. And I like the fact that you, you know, again, choosing your, choosing your words appropriately, you know, you say that it's really about that can do attitude and that can be applied in so many different ways. And then, you know, lastly, um, or, you know, and then that coachability that ties into that can do, I just, I, I, I really love that. And I can see how, you've adopted that yourself and that's helped to continue to drive success. So thank you so much for just being yourself, being consistent and pushing to, uh, to, to make some changes in a, in an area that deeply desires it. Yeah, man, right on. I, I appreciate it. And, um, I'll leave it with this. You know, I have people asking me, did I uh, try to trademark the word enhanced benefits? And, um, you know, I, it literally never crossed my mind until somebody said it. And no, I never did it because I love when I'm on LinkedIn and somebody requests to connect with me, I love when they're in this industry and they quote unquote compete and I, uh, uh, I connect with them. And then a week later, I happen to notice that they changed their profile to enhanced benefit specialist. I love that because it, it shows me that they agree with me and they're putting a positive spin and a positive change into the market. Uh, and they, they agree with, uh, with the fact that word choice proves paramount. So I love it. I embrace it. I hope everybody starts doing it. And, and I hope that the industry single-handedly through me and my counterparts uh, gets the name of the industry changed from uh, voluntary, supplemental, ancillary, worksite to enhanced. Would be, it would be awesome. It would be a dream of mine. Heck yeah, man. I love it. All right. So uh, what are some good ways for people to get in contact with you? I mean, I've mentioned a few throughout the, throughout the show. And, uh, but what, what are your kind of preferred methods for that? Yeah, sure. So I don't, um, you know, we're salespeople. We don't hide our contact information. Um, <laughs> so there's nothing hidden here. So voluntarydisruption.com, the voluntarydisruption.com on Instagram at voluntary disruption um, on uh, Facebook. Uh, it's facebook.com slash Silverman benefits because that's our original trade name. Facebook.com slash uh, Silverman benefits. Uh, my cell phone is right on my website. I ha We have office lines. I don't put them on my website because I don't, I don't want people to call it. I want them to call me or text me. I'm a big believer in text on Twitter at Silverman SBG. Um, I'm not hard to find. Let's put it that way. And I'm connected with uh, tens of thousands of people and I, I hope to be connected with more. I just want to, I want to learn from everybody. That's what it's for. Yeah, no, absolutely. That, that, that's great to do that. And yeah, I'll make sure to put all the contact or your contact information in the show notes so people can find you on one of their chosen platforms or all of them if they right. desire to do that. But again, man, I just, I just want to say like, I appreciate the time that you shared today, what you're doing, and I just wish you the, the you know, greatest of success. And I know that you're going to put the hard work in to get there. So thank you. Yeah, man, no doubt. And you got to put a link for uh, for your cool hat there because I want to get myself that hat. That's freaking awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe you want to be the only one, but I want to I want to find that hat. 
I don't. I don't. So yeah, I mean, a guy by the, I forget the guy's name. It's a company called Art of Homage, H-O-M-A-G on Instagram. And um, if you're not looking at this, uh, then you don't know that I'm wearing a hat that says famous enough. Uh, it's got a very deep meaning to me. You can take it to mean what you'd like, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good one. So I like it. I'm gonna go find it in some I'll other colors. My, I was gonna say, I'll order mine in orange and black. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> all right man thanks again i appreciate it all right guys thanks so much for another episode of the excellence mindset podcast as always i appreciate you taking some time to listen uh well make sure to share eric's com- or, uh, contact information in the show na- show notes that way you can reach out to him directly if you've got any feedback on future episodes even this episode please feel free to leave a review on itunes you can contact me be more than happy to chat with you and see what i can do to help you out Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Excellence Mindset with Ryan James Miller. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe. And for more great content and to stay up to date, visit ryanjamesmiller.com. We'll catch you next time.